This week on the programme, today being the 100th anniversary of the Armistice, we'll be joined by the Farming Minister George Eustace alongside some of the regular contributors on the programme to pay our own special tribute. That's later. Also, we'll have an update on the Beat campaign and we meet the CLA's new Director General. Very exciting, exciting time for CLA members and um, definitely exciting time for me getting to grips with that and, and helping them with all of the things that concern them. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. First, a question for you, especially if you're not in agriculture. Do you really care about the red tractor? The reason I ask is because of some rather forthright views that were aired at the recent East of England Farming Conference. Andrew Fern is a professor at the University of East Anglia and he gave the opening address and didn't hold back with where he feels the industry's failing in engaging properly with those not in farming. So just what were the three key messages Professor Fern wanted for those at the conference to take home with them? So opportunities abound for farmers to add value, differentiate and indeed become more efficient and therefore more competitive. But to capture those opportunities, they absolutely have to A, get better connected with each other B, get better connected with their customers, that's the food processors and the retailers, and C, get a much better understanding of what consumers truly value based on what they purchase, not what they say is important to them. It is the case, isn't it? We we, we talk a lot about how farmers need to connect with people out there, and and, and if in one way shoppers need to almost be educated as to what's happening in farming but actually it's almost the other way around isn't it the farmers need to know what they're doing yeah yeah so there's still far too much uh, talk about educating consumers well i (laughs) i still feel like jeepers um, farmers have to become educated about the real world into which their raw materials are entering because without that understanding of the way ordinary people think about the decisions they make when buying food and how they prepare and consume food what matters to them it's all there's a chasm between what consumers think and do and what farmers believe to be the case and unless we see farmers being much more proactive in bridging that gap filling that void then they're going to continue doing what they've done for generations and hoping that something will change and i can't see any way that can happen and certainly relying on the government to fix things is the last place they should be relying on you mentioned about obviously the red tractor scheme you know we get into a bubble of saying put the red tractor on packaging that will do people will know that's what they need to buy it's, it's much more than that isn't it people don't care about the red no, tractors what you exactly. said this morning. I think people what i would say uh, being very careful about my choice of words is that um not enough people care anything like as much as farmers would like to believe. So does, is there a role for something like a red tractor that ensures that we are behaving responsibly um, and delivers a degree of integrity about where stuff comes from and how it's produced? Absolutely. Are consumers particularly interested in that and willing to pay a premium for it or look out for the little red tractor when they're making purchases? I'm going to say to you, the mass is absolutely absolutely not they just expect this industry to have sorted that out get on with it don't expect us to to thank you by giving you a premium for it and i'm really worried about the continued assumption that everybody else in the world is um producing uh, farming and producing food with gay abandon without any reference to what's safe and what's sound uh, either in terms of our health or the environment um i think feel that's nonsensical when you think of the scale of investment 
in other parts of the world where they're trying to target some of the toughest export markets on the planet, do we really think that those farmers and food producers and exporters have no regard for the standards that are required by retailers, food manufacturers and indeed consumers in markets like ours? I think that's incredibly naive. So what can they do? Who? The farmers. What can, yeah, so what can the people get, in this room, the, those in agriculture do? Stop making assumptions and fundamentally rethink the way they set about planning their business. So there's, a, I think, a real... Um, just think about Brexit for a second. We had two years getting ready for this, and, and it seems to me like far too many people sat in their hands until the government sorts, sorts this out. What do we do? It's like, I, I, I'm saying, for goodness sake, the world is full of uncertainties, and it's only getting even more. You, what you need to do is take more control. So positive strategic thinking about the areas of activity that I can allocate my scarce resources where I've got some control. So that's why I was talking about um, aggressive, much more aggressive investment in the kind of technologies we need to be more efficient. Answer from the farmers is we're not big enough, we can't afford it and, and tenant farmers certainly can't. My answer that, for Christ's sake, then you need to be working in collaboration with your neighbours so you can get the scale that you need to share that investment. And you need to think more um, collaboratively about planning the crops uh, and enterprise mix so you can get the most out of the investment in technology um, without fighting over who gets what and when it's required. Um, and the other in, obvious area of, in, of investment um, is in postgate um, activity. So the value is being captured when stuff leaves the farm. So if we want to get a better share of that, it's not you know, plea to the grocery adjudicator to regulate the returns to our limited investment that we get on farms. No, it's get your money out of your pockets and invest in where the value is added, which is in further processing, not in primary agriculture. Well, whether you agree with him or not, he's clearly very passionate about the industry. That's Professor Fern at the University of East Anglia. I'd love to know your views on what he had to say. Please do get in touch. You can email me through the website. We'll meet the CLA's soon-to-be-new Director-General in a moment, swapping behind the scenes at DEFRA to very much front of house at the Country Land and Business Owners Association. Uh, First, though, Jerome Fielder has the latest from Open Field for us. Hi, Sean. The November USDA report came out on Thursday night so I hope to touch on the main stories there, although there was no major news to affect the market. Looking at the oilseeds market, the USDA report dropped world production of soybeans by 2 million tonnes. However, the Chinese imports were dropped by 4 million tonnes. This led to world stocks increasing by 2 million tonnes. With world stocks increasing, the USDA report is not supportive to oilseed rate prices here in the UK. In addition, the strength of the pound, with confidence growing over Brexit deal, has also put pressure on oilseed rate values at the farm gate, with values in the Midlands struggling to keep above £320 ex-farm pre-Christmas. However, reports from the French Agricultural Ministry state that French oilseed rate plantings are down by 30-35%, which should support new crop values moving forward. On to the wheat markets. The wheat export figure for the EU and Russia has been left unchanged. The USDA did drop the Australian number by 1.5 million tonnes, but that was offset by the decline in South East Asian imports. Yet the trader sceptical of the Australian number, which is thought to be lower, only time will tell on this one with the Australian harvest coming up. Russia continued to give mixed messages on the size of their export, 
with Deputy Agricultural Minister announcing grain exports at 35 million tonnes, only for another spokesman to say it closer to 39 million tonnes for all grain exports. Domestically, the consumer has plenty of cover pre-Christmas, so values are depressed for pre-Christmas movement on wheat. Values are now in the mid-160s, depending on location for feed wheat. Barley markets. Feed barley export demand is strong, with barley trading at parity to wheat in some regions, although currency will affect this value. Now for your ex-farm prices. Spot feed wheat is trading between 160 and £167, ex-farm, based on location, and for next year at November 19, you're looking between 148 and £154, ex-farm. Feed barley, spot, is trading between 158 and £162, with November 19 values circa £136 to £142. Rate values are hovering around 320 mark, a little bit below today, and forward prices are at the same value for November 19. Feed beans are trading in the region of 215 to 220 pounds, depending on location. For any inquiries, please contact your local Openfield farm business manager. Thank you. Thank you, Jerome. Jerome Fielder. And if you missed his contribution last week discussing mental health, it is well worth a listen. You'll find the programme, as well as previous editions, on the podcast page of our website and mobile app. The website's had a bit of a refresh as well, so do take a look. The Country Land and Business Owners Association is about to get a new Director-General. Sarah Hendry will replace Helen Woolley at the start of December. She's been in the civil service, mostly at DEFRA, so comes with a wealth of experience and has already started at the CLA. Uh, one of her first jobs, rightly so, was to talk to this programme. Uh, so what's her background? So uh, I'm a long-standing civil servant by career, and uh, a lot of that has been in agriculture, environment, rural development, climate change, um, water, floods. So I kind of feel as though I've got quite a background in a lot of issues that are of relevance to uh, farmers and CLA members more generally. Um, the big challenge for me is uh, running a membership organisation, which is a whole new New discipline. Absolutely, obviously looking forward to it, the CLA. Yeah. Really looking forward to it, very exciting, exciting time for CLA members and um, definitely exciting time for me getting to grips with that and, and helping them with all of the things that concern them. You're certainly joining at a, an interesting time, I mean we are very close to obviously Brexit now and um, potentially anyway if it happens uh, next March, what do you think the main challenges will be in the new role? So it seems to me that it's part of it is going to be just helping CLA members think about what those challenges, some of which are completely unknown yet there's the vast swathes of future policy which they can't know um, and yet they need to start grappling with uncertainty and thinking about how they can future-proof their businesses um, to deal with that, so I see that as one of our huge um, and really important challenges Um, And big shoes to fill as well, isn't it? Huge shoes to fill and um, Helen and I are sitting very close to each other and it's only day four but already um, I'm trying to download as much of that knowledge and information just that insight into what makes um, the CLA tick um, and what had she been carrying on doing the role she would have been doing next because I I will want to um, you know very much follow in her footsteps. We wish you well in the new job Sarah Hendry who uh, in December will be the CLA's new director general. We'll honour the 100th anniversary of the Armistice in a short while. First, an update on the Beat campaign from Nick Morris at British Sugar. We're six weeks in now, Nick. That's right, yes. Uh, mor- morning, Sean. And it was probably about the same amount of time since I was uh, in your in your studio. And we were just coming off the back of that uh, very, very dry spell, that drought over the summer period. 
and uh, we were a little bit nervous about how easily we were going to supply our factory with sugar beets over the first few weeks and uh, I can confirm it was incredibly challenging actually. Uh, we, we we shorted the factory on with beet supply for the first three weeks just we were so hand to mouth um, and it really comes down to the harvesting machines being able to get their lifting equipment into the ground uh, either at all or to get it into the ground uh, enough so it doesn't ban it, uh, damage the, the sugar beet crop. So first three weeks we uh, managed to keep the factory going at around 80% of throughput and then thankfully we did get some rain and we've had a sort of fairly continual small top up since then so not enough to really hinder harvesting but it's just a perfect amount to help the machines uh, really get moving nicely and uh, traveling a little bit quicker through the ground as well so conditions are good and uh, to complement the rain we've got some mild temperature and some still getting some sunny days so of course that's really helping the crop to continue to to grow and increase in uh, in sugar content so sat here now i'm really quite pleased with uh, ha- how we're looking now we've got through that uh, through that challenging start so really it all comes down to crop recovery at this time of year and maximizing the yield that we get out of the field so that's minimizing damage and breakage while the harvester is uh, extracting the crop from the soil but also then uh, minimizing the amount of time between harvest and delivery across to our factory um, so that's really down to planning and great communication between ourselves uh, at the factory, but also between the growers, the harvesting contractors and the hauliers. So it's great to see that uh, taking place really effectively. So, yeah, we're now six weeks in. So we think that's going to be around 25% of the way through. So uh, expecting a sort of 22-23 week campaign. The sugar beet quality is really very good. It's currently averaging a dirt tear of around 3.8% and a sugar content of 18% and when we think about quality they really are the key parameters that we're that we're considering. Factory uh, processing and throughput that's now averaging 8,900 tonnes a day as I said the first three weeks of, of campaign we were hindering factory throughput just because we didn't have enough sugar beet to actually uh, maximise the amount that we could process so we've now recovered a lot of that lost time We've been slicing over 10,000 tonnes a day for about the last uh, couple of weeks, really. We've uh, got some early indications of yield. Um, it's uh, quite a small data set, but it's enough to give us a bit of a yardstick or a direction of travel. So we've now got 54 contracts that have finished their campaign already, and so far they've averaged 62 tonnes a hectare. That will definitely increase as the uh, crop continues to grow throughout the rest of November and uh, also in December. The amount it grows, as always, depends on the weather we receive and the conditions that it experiences. But history uh, does guarantee one thing, it will increase. So we're definitely not going to be seeing the uh, inc- remarkable yields of last year's record crop. But actually, at the moment, sat here now, it's going to look a lot closer to average than what I uh, would have estimated back in back in the summer when we were enduring that drought period. Lastly, I'd just uh, like to uh, mention to growers to keep an eye on their post tray this week. We are sending out um, seed orders, so hopefully they've actually already been received. The return deadline is really quite tight. It's the Friday the 16th of November, so uh, please uh, look through your post, make sure you've got your seed order please let us know if you haven't but importantly get it filled out and returned quickly because uh, we know that um, certain varieties will be 
very, very short on stock. So um, he yeah, would encourage people to get that back uh, as, as, as quickly as possible so we can uh, meet your requirements. But other than that, that's all from me. Thank you. Nick Morris, our man in the know at British Sugar. Thanks, Sean. Let's get our weekly fix of agronomy news then, shall we? Sean Sparling is here. A bit damp out there, isn't it? Uh, not drying out really either, is it? Yes, morning, Sean. No, it doesn't dry out very quickly this time of year, does it? Um, you know, well, to be fair, the, the days are shorter, the sun's lower, it's lost its intensity, we've got dewy nights, we've got humid days, the dew's coming down by half past two, three o'clock. So things aren't getting the opportunity to dry out. It's complicating things for people who've still got wheat to put in the ground. If it's black grassland that you going with just as an aside if you as soon as you take a cultivator into there whether it be discs or the drill or whatever you'll get a flash of uv light into that seed bed and any black grass that picks up on that will start to put its roots down that's why it's so important that if you do drill into black grassland you get that pre-em herbicide on within 72 hours of drilling because if the black grass starts to germinate within the barrier of herbicide it'll pick it up that's when you get a good result if you delay by seven ten days because you think it'll make a few roots it's too wet to travel with the sprayer or it comes windy and you can't get on the black grass gets a head start and it will always have that head start and you'll never catch it so you'll always get a better result by getting that pre-em on within a couple of days of drilling if you possibly can now crops because we've got soil temperatures which we'll come on to later as far as propizomide goes we've got soil temperatures above 12 we've got moisture these crops are going in the ground they're up within 14 days they are still at risk from BYDV if you haven't got a deter seed dressing on and remember if you drill with deter on the seed mid-september that'll run out of steam about now after six or seven weeks if you drill with deter end of october you won't need to put an additional pyrethroid spray on for bydv this autumn uh, because it'll carry you all the way through you should get eight to ten weeks from it where it's drilled a little bit later now i can still find bird cherry oak grain aphid rose grain aphid out in the field along with foxglove aphids and misers persicae peach potato aphids Um, but if you can find colonies of virus vectors in the field you need to deal with them if your deter has run out or if it hasn't had deter pick a pyrethroid which is kinder to the beneficials like the ground beetles for example who predate on slug eggs um, because we want to protect everything we possibly can and as far as slugs go very little activity out there really at the moment but just keep an eye on these knottier areas within the fields if you've double rolled if you've got good consolidated seed beds slug activity will be markedly lower than if you've got cloddier knottier areas because slugs as we've said before they don't tunnel through the soil like a worm does they rely on you to leave them some air spaces so monitor the areas if it's wet then probably use ferrous phosphate rather than metaldehyde because metaldehyde is hydrophilic it'll lock into the water and go wherever that water goes whereas ferrous phosphate only toxic to slugs and snails mollusks and uh, if it gets into water it's completely benign because it is completely benign innocuous in water so always use ferrous phosphate around the headlands anyway uh, just in case watercourses may be affected but at the moment slug activity relatively low i would expect that to increase over the coming few days now as far as oilseed rate goes disease levels notable increase in the last few days we've seen more foma more light leaf spot so now would be the time to think about getting a light leaf spot fungicide on remember we can only stop it from getting worse it's protectant only on light leaf spot so always prioritize the disease control over any perceived effect on canopy management or lodging control and remember that you only ever control crop height 
once stem extension starts. That's not going to happen until February, March time. Um, and you know when it's in stem extension, when the distance between the leaf axle where they join the stem is greater than the circumference of the stem itself. And we're nowhere near that. We're not at the stem extension. So all you will achieve with a growth regulatory fungicide like tebuconazole or metconazole is you'll drive the roots down. You'll get a bigger root system. Not a massive amount, but it will make an effect. When I'm pulling plants up and I've got the roots the same length as the canopy is high I think I've enough root structure there to hold those canopies up and I will do my growth reg work in the spring remember prothioconazole has no growth regulatory effect whatsoever so always prioritize disease control over any perceived effect of growth regulator and take the opportunity to deal with things like boron deficiency manganese magnesium deficiency out there in these fields and just talk to your advisor because boron doesn't mix with everything as easily as things like manganese do now as far as propism I'm getting the question asked nearly every day is it cold enough yet for curb um, technically um, it's it's always okay for curb technically it will always work if you've got big deep rooted black grass now then it will work but here's your problem um, for me my soil moisture deficit needs to be 50 mil or less and it's not it's over 100 and the soil temperature needs to be 8 degrees and falling and it isn't it's 12 degrees if you put it on in warm conditions it'll still work but it'll, it'll have a half-life of about 50 days that means by January it'll run out of steam if you wait until the soil temperature is 8 degrees and falling and your soil moisture deficit is 50 mil or less then your half-life extends to 100 days so you get a much longer period of activity from the propismide and for me for the sake of waiting another two or three weeks I'm going to wait another two or three weeks use the Dow app google the curb app and put your postcode in and it will tell you whether your soil moisture deficit is right the soil temperatures are right if it's it's like a traffic light system if it shows red don't go near it if it's amber you're getting close if it's green you're good to go and everything i've put down for lincolnshire shows me it's red so i'm holding my breath it may only be a couple of three weeks curb will still work at this time of year but you lose out on that longevity and when you think black grass used to stop growing in mid-november and start again in march it grows all the way through the winter now so to lose activity for january february could be a mistake i'm holding my breath and just holding my fire for another two or three weeks until things are more suitable it's actually too high a soil moisture deficit and the soil temperatures are too high. So, on that bombshell, I'll see you next week. Thanks for that. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. And both Sean and Nick Morris will be among those reading a special poem for this Remembrance Sunday in a moment, along with the uh, Farm Minister, George Eustace, among others. Uh, First, though, let's uh, take a look at the week's weather. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's quite a settled week, actually. Maybe things uh, will dry out. Plenty of sunshine through the week. The wind blowing from the south-southwest for much of the week. Could see gusts uh, for much of the week at around uh, 35 miles an hour, generally around 15 miles an hour. As I say, blowing from the south. Mostly sunny Monday, Tuesday. Cloudy come Wednesday, but uh, further sunshine possible towards the latter end of the week. As for temperatures, we're looking at uh, overnight lows through the week, actually, of around 7 Celsius, with daytime highs of 12 or 13 degrees and that's the forecast now it is november the 11th the 11th day of the 11th month an important day to reflect and even more poignant this year if that's possible as it's a hundred years to the day since the end of the first world war with that in mind and the contribution agriculture played a century ago i've brought together a few people you might well recognize to read a poem possibly the most famous poem by lawrence binion 
Reading a verse each, in order of appearance, here's Nick Morris from British Sugar, Katie Hall of the National Federation of Young Farmers, Ben Underwood of the CLA, DEFRA Minister George Eustace, the NFU's Guy Smith, Open Fields' Rebecca Pierce, and on behalf of the Association of Independent Crop Consultants, our own agronomist Sean Sparling, together reading For the Fallen. With proud thanksgiving, a mother for her children... England mourns for her dead across the sea. Flesh of her flesh they were, spirit of her spirit, fallen in the cause of the free. Solemn the drums thrill, death august and royal. Sing sorrow up into immortal spheres. There is music in the midst of desolation and a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to the battle. They were young. Straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end, against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. They mingle not with their laughing comrades again. They sit no more at familiar tables of home. They have no lot in our labour of the daytime. They sleep beyond England's foam. But where our desires are and our hopes profound, felt as a wellspring that is hidden from sight, to the innermost heart of their own land they are known, as the stars are known to the night. As the stars that shall be bright when we are dust, moving in marches upon the heavenly plain, as the stars that are starry in the time of our darkness, to the end, to the end, they remain. Our tributes on this special day. Thanks to Nick, Katie, Ben, Guy, Rebecca, Sean, and of course the Minister, George Eustace. Until next week's programme, take care.